This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your Tuesday. Going to be with you today, Matt and Patrick. Who wants to ring me out? I'm moist. Oh, yeah. It is not the most pleasant temperature outside right now in the metro area. Patrick, how are you doing over there? Here, of course, producing from a, a kiddie pool in the studio there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a swamp in here. We've got turtles and frogs and... Uh... They're enjoying their new home. Just watch out. Don't get electrocuted. Well, the frogs will explode if they come out right now. Uh, The turtles are fine. They're just kind of basking in it. This, by the way, this, what you feel outside right now is Savannah, Georgia in August. This is what it is. This is like an average day, which will tell you why I nearly passed out in that city one time when I was down there. I don't know why I'm a sycophant and I went to freaking Savannah, Georgia in August. But, hey, you know, nothing takes away the heat like deep fried chicken. Oh, God. So Uh, I just took a quick look at the weather. The dew point in Eden Prairie right now is 84 degrees. I don't think I've ever seen that high of a dew point before in Minnesota. It is. Ugh. It's thick. <laughs> it's, hey, hey, folks, if you like it thick, uh, we got Minnesota for you. Um, have we had any of the uh, elusive road blows? You know, no one's expecting a road blow. But when they do happen, they're a mess for everybody. Uh, you know you know what the road blow. Well, you know, the road blow. That's when they get the, the gunk gets stuck between the concrete slabs. And because it's so darn hot, it boils and basically steam power, boom, it blows the, the road apart. Have we had any road blows? I haven't seen any reports of those yet, but I would not be surprised. This is, you know, let's make sure we understand. The only reason I wanted, I got to say this is because I got to say road blows. Hey! <laughs> uh, I'm a child. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Did you have – I haven't been here for a few days. I want to thank Todd Mickelson for filling in yesterday. Uh, I'll get to why I wasn't here in just a second, but did you have a nice weekend? Anything fun happened for you? I did, actually. So over the weekend, uh, one of John Lennon's former partners, May Pang, had a photography exhibit oh, yeah. at the Loft on Washington Avenue. And I'm a longtime fan of the Beatles, so I went over, checked out some of the art, had a brief conversation with Miss Pang, which was very interesting. How wonderful. Cool. What did she talk about? Anything anything exciting? Oh, no. I just kind of told her thanks for coming, and I told her that uh, one of the albums that she was involved with of Lennon's was my favorite from Lennon's solo catalog. So she was kind of flattered to hear that, I think, and... You know, some very nice photographs uh, wasn't in my budget, to say the least. But, you know, she seemed nice. It was a nice, quiet experience. Well, it's wonderful. I'm glad you got it. You see, as we have all these cool things that happen around this town, which are, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that that you wouldn't even know goes on because there's so many cool things going on in Minneapolis-St. Paul. So, no, that is too cool. I'm glad you got out there and enjoyed that. I, um, I was not in town. 
I uh, had to skedaddle on north. Uh, I stayed up on the Iron Range, but my main goal this last weekend was to get my daughter, my oldest daughter, my second child, to college. And this is her freshman year, so I got to. Uh, they, they, they some of the universities they do a kind of a cool thing where you they allow you to move in early if you want to take advantage of some of the kind of the fun things that they're doing on campus, and she is doing that right now. So we were able to, and I'm glad. Holy cow! I cannot imagine what UMD is like on move-in day. It has got to be utter chaos because there's just not a lot of space to move or park or anything over there. So you're going to be hiking a lot of stuff a long, long way. Anyway, uh, so we, we got to move in early. Um, you know, I'm ha- I mean, UMD is a cool school. It is. It's. It's actually a really nice school up there. Uh, I was very impressed with it. Uh, my 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 son went to the University of Minnesota. He's over in the Twin Cities here. This is uh, you know this is my first child to go out of the area. I'm crippled. <laughs> How about I say it like that? I am emotionally compromised. How about I say it like that? I you know, I I. When my son went to college, he went to the U of M. So, you know, I go out and get to go food that's a further drive than, than to go see where he is. So I don't think it really phased me as bad. But then to be two plus hours north at UMD and feeling like I'm going to be far away from my little girl. <laughs> There was a lot of emotion. And I got to tell the truth. Is, this is not like, you know, I'll disown a kid that goes to the Wisconsin school. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just. You're not. You've Madison. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't ever come back. Um, But at the same time. And fine. Madison. I'm, I'm joking. You're actually Madison's a great town and University of Wisconsin has seen better days thanks to Scott Walker but it's it's uh, uh you know still a, a fine institution that being said Duluth is quite cute and I like Duluth it does give San Francisco a run for its money as far as hills go if you want to live in a town I mean there's a lot of people that live in Minnesota going, it's so flat around here well have I got a city for you <laughs> you, you want to work on those calves Oh my God! Uh, what is the name of that town in Oregon? Oh, uh, Astoria. Astoria. That's where. I mean, for most people, you'd recognize Astoria. They filmed a good chunk of the Goonies town scenes. The movie The Goonies. They filmed a good chunk of the town scenes in Astoria, and they also filmed over at Cannon Beach. That's kind of the the iconic scene of the at the end of the movie, and um, that, so that's up on the Oregon coast. Astoria, I've never seen – I've been in Europe. I've never seen a city that was built on a hill like that. That's nuts. And if you really are crazy, you can go to the top of it and then there's a huge tower and you can see you – know, you know, it, it, it's like it's, you're on top of a mountain. It's amazing. It's a very cool town to go to. But Duluth it gives it – you know, Duluth is up there. I always like some of those cities, those streets that go up that kind of like, yeah, I'm at an angle here that if it's winter, I'm just not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually kind of a little, you know, part of me is like, okay, because I've never wintered in Duluth. 
So I'm a little concerned about my daughter taking like the, 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 the UMD buses into downtown or something in the middle of winter because how exactly do you clear that street? I mean, it's – that's – Duluth is cute though. I went out there. I went to Hippie Tacos. Was it the Hippie Tacos on West Superior? Yeah, the Hungry Hippie Tacos. Uh, hungry, yeah, yeah, Hungry Hippie Tacos. I, I, I went there. Delicious, by the way. Absolutely fantastic. And by the way, that whole stretch of Duluth, my dad took me down there when I was a kid. It's like, don't ever go down here because it was a pit. But now that's all cute. It's artsy and tap housey and cider worksy and and cute restauranty. That's nice. I like that that West Superior Street. Um, there is something incredibly hard, as you can tell. I'm kind of dancing around the subject. There is something incredibly hard about a parent saying goodbye to their kid going to college. And I don't I, – I mean there's there are some things which the, the kind of traditional – my my wife was, was wrecked when my son went over to the University of Minnesota. And, you know, it was – you know, she was really upset. And I'm like, you know, he's right down the street. I mean – it's like, it's like, I'll go pick up some food on the way back. You know, it's like, you know, he's near the tea house. I'll go over there. Um, you know that you know it. But she was really kind of it was it was a hard hurdle. And I knew, I knew when my daughter started twelfth grade, her senior year of high school, that I could tell that this was going to be hard. So we get up there, we unload the car, we we were able to get up into her. Her, her dorm, which is which, and, and and once again, I'll give a lot of credit to the University of Minnesota Duluth. Very secure, safe campus. So, you know, you can feel good about things. Get, able to get all of her stuff up there. We went to. You, you do this if you if you're going to do this. What ends up happening? You move your stuff in there, and then you realize the stuff that you still need to get, like a desk lamp or something like that. And so you have to run over to the Target store. Um, I will tell you this, that was the busiest freaking Target store I've ever seen in my life. That thing was packed to the gills. It just absolutely packed to the gills. And uh, But we were able to get all that stuff, take it back. And because of her, her timeline, because she actually had a meeting last night with this, this group that she was doing fun things with, um, we had to kind of get some food to go, and we're, we're heading over to go get her a sandwich. And... Suddenly, you know, I, I could see in the corner of my eye, she just lost it. You know, there's because th- there is that realization, you know, especially with with a child who's who's, you know, claimed to be an adult since she was 12 to all of a sudden. Oh, no, I'm, I'm we're about to do the real adult stuff now. We're starting we're starting taking that turn and realizing that the the safety and security that that child has actually really been able to bask and is is not going to be nearly as is you know it's i'm not saying it's not safe and secure umd of course it is it's very safe up there but it's kind of all of a sudden you're out of the nest and yeah that's when i lost it too i i mean <laughs> to to the fine folks at the jersey mics in duluth i was the sobbing guy i need to get a sandwich oh ham oh i need a ham sandwich and you think I'm joking. Ah, oh, mustard and mayo. Yeah, both of them, please. Yeah, that'd be nice. Ah. I took a picture of her as she got out of the car. And she was walking away. And she was on the other side of the, the drop-off zone there. And uh, she turned and waved. And yeah. 
I don't know how long this is going to last. I mean, I imagine there are, there are some parents who are like, woohoo! <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different experience. They're gone! Yay! Party! Um, don't get me wrong. I, the idea that I'm going to have, you know, you know, unfettered access to a, a washer and dryer, at least all I have now, now all I have to fight is one kid. Uh, a washer and dryer when I want to. And I, don't, I don't have half my food eaten. And I'm like, what happened to all the food? That I'm not, you know, or not making food and having a kid saying, I'm not going to be home for dinner. Uh, I, I got those things are, you know, not going to miss that that much. About three weeks ago, my daughter sits down and says, Dad, let's watch the Ken Burns Civil War documentary. Now, once again, I like my history and she does, too. And, you know, by the way, could guys win in the end on that one? Very, you know, Luke Skywalker in the end. Um, you know, the, 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 the South, uh, we, we, it, it gets good. Oh, when Sherman, oh, what Sherman does to the Georgia. Oh, just priceless. We didn't quite finish it. We saw most of it. And by the way, that's, that's a, what, six disc? You know, it's, you know, quite a, you know, 12 hours of, of, of documentary. We got through most of it. But we didn't get the end of it, and I and I saw that last night. I saw I, I got home and and I was unpacking things, and I said, "Oh, we didn't really finish this." Now I know she'll be home sometime, probably in October. Of course, she'll be home over the holidays, so I'll save that. But what I didn't anticipate last night was how much I just wish she would have been there so we could finish watching it. And like I said, I I understand this is just me and. I'm not the only one. I mean, I know there was there was a few other teary-eyed parents that were dropping off their kids. But it is it is something that a long time ago I thought I was meant to be a radio broadcaster. And then I had kids. And I realized what I was meant to be was a father. And I've loved being a dad. I've loved it. It's been the most rewarding and and wonderful thing that I've ever been privileged to be part of. And I do anything for my kids, and I just I do adore them. So yeah, as someone told me, the reason you feel bad is because you did it right. And I guess I, I I guess I'll I'll appreciate that that the reason that this this does hurt is because I did okay. That the, that the kids were all right. Now, it doesn't mean that she's not going to call me up and say, Dad, I've decided to drop out. I'm going to be a bartender. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm going to join a ska band. Oh, no. Not that. <laughs> Reality is, is this is I just want my kids to be happy. And I hope UMD works out. I I think it's a great little campus. It's a good little college. If you've, if you've got a kid looking for going to college, check out UMD. It's not a bad one. That's for sure. And I think she'll have fun, and I think she'll excel. But it's going to take me a while. And so please bear with me on this. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. A lot of things i got to get into since I missed a day. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.
again, that Sunday Shine Radio is fantastic. If you've not caught that, 10 to, to 1 o'clock right here on AM 950. Make sure you're listening for all three of those shows. Just good stuff. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Well, it is back to school time. And... Okay, Care 11, I'll just give you the first sentence here. School administrators across Minnesota are sweating this week, and the weather isn't to blame. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, Care 11. Can't you make light of any crisis? Anyway, uh, many districts are still scrambling and sometimes competing with each other to fill hundreds of teachers' vacancies and even more paraprofessional roles. It's higher than normal for sure, said Scott Kroonquist, executive director of the Association of Metro School Districts. What's different this year is the extent of the vacancies, how many there are, and how many districts are expecting experiencing them. According to an open position survey conducted by the Minnesota School Boards Association between August 3rd and 9th, schools in the seven-county Twin Cities metro area are still reporting 519 vacancies and 698 paraprofessional vacancies. Um, do you have any idea how why that much that gap has closed by now? Um, I think we're still 1,200 in terms of shortfalls of teaching positions. That's in the metro area. The shortfalls appear to be troubling, uh, more troubling across greater Minnesota. The same survey found rural districts still had 349 teacher vacancies, 571 pair of vacancies, and more than 60% of those job openings had zero applicants. I'll come back to that here in a second. It's a little unnerving when you don't see applicants coming in, said Kroonquist. I have no doubt we're going to see some scrambling and some tough situations to fill some of these positions. It's an issue in St. Paul Public Schools tried to get out in front of last week, holding a hiring event for paraprofessionals like teaching aides and education aides. Among others, the efforts resulted in more than 60 applicants being offered a job within minutes. Wow, they're hiring. <laughs> within minutes are you breathing yes all right good are you have you can you do finger painting we're gonna get you in the art class all right uh, by the way i mean i mean if that, that, that's what i have to do i'll wear i'll wear like the uh hand-me-down clothes that day <laughs> sure i'll dress like i normally do t-shirts and shorts let's go do some finger painting kids uh, the district credits its uh, ununified hiring effort to jump in starting pay for paraprofessionals and about $4,000 hiring and retention bonuses for special education jobs. Um, we are probably double this year in terms of openings and teachings of education assistance, said Annie Zhang, recruitment and diversity specialist for SPPS. With a few do- dozen positions yet to fill, they still have work to do, though. Cronquist says raising pay alone won't fix the issue, especially the statewide shortage. Oftentimes, what is happening is the district is able to fill an opening, but it's because they stole someone from another district. So it has sort of a domino effect at times, like whack-a-mole. He says some districts have started to explore a new option offered by the state, which gives some student teachers a chance to fill actual opening teaching jobs. They can now be hired under a Tier 2 license, Kroonquist said, and they basically end up doing their student teaching at the same time they're actually teaching and getting paid for it. Other districts are also being turning up their recruiting far beyond our state borders all over the country and sometimes even outside the country, especially if they're going after those world language teachers and native language teachers because they're so hard to find. Money dedicated to the Minnesota legislature in 2021 also working on marketing, marketing the professional to the next generation of BIPOC candidates at a time when more pandemic-accelerated long-coming wave of retirements are starting to occur. Uh, there are a lot of positive things happening in the longer term. So I want to, uh, two things I will I wanted to kind of bring up about this story. The first is this is no I mean hey don't get me wrong you're going to get some people 
who are in southern states who are just – they just don't want to leave the climate. And they will work at a job where they are not happy and not getting paid well because they like 85 degrees and sunny in February. That's kind of who they are. But I guarantee you if Minnesota went on a recruiting spree, you probably could pull 2 to 3% of the teachers out of most of these other states and say, hey, we got laws that protect you here. We, you know, we, we, we're going to pay you, we're going to pay you well. You're going to have a, a, a better support system. Come up to Minnesota. And that's what I would do is I'd actually start going into these other states and saying, do you want to, you see Johnny Bookman over there? Do you want to be part of that? Do you want, do you want, you know, you know, so, you know, some, some person coming in there and ripping down your, your, a rainbow flag you have posted in your room, in, in your, uh, your, uh, classroom. Now. I'm not going to miss the obvious point. The situation in outstate Minnesota is dire. What he said is 60, 60% of the jobs that are open at teaching in schools, no one's applying for them. If they did, they'd be hired, I'm going to imagine, within 20 seconds. Why? This isn't... Because that right-wing thing I'm talking about in these southern states exists out in rural Minnesota. For God's sakes, we had ZZ Flop, the uh, uh, Weissenberg, the, the representative up in, what is it, Little Falls, I believe he is. You know, he was screaming at the teachers in his office that just came in from his district, teachers from his district coming in to talk about an issue, and he starts screaming and bellowing at them. Has, you know, has... Has that district filled their teachers? Because I got to tell you what, ZZ Flop, listen to me, uh, you know, you know, you know, jug band. You're a jerk to these people. They don't want to work around you. And that's your problem. I know people in rural Minnesota who are out there who are like, if that teacher teaches a book I don't agree with. If that teacher teaches something I don't like, well, I'm going to storm into that classroom and take it over. I'm going to make sure they're fired. I'm going to make sure they there's no books read that I don't agree with, that the Bible is in there. We're going to rip down any rainbow flags. Hate, 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 hate. The same exact people. Why does nobody want to come teach for our district? Yeah, it's a mystery of the ages. Have you tried being nice? I have said this now a few years. Have you tried to be nice? Because at the end of the day, a lot of times you guys aren't nice. You're jerks. And this is beyond. We haven't even touched on the story of the the, the, the way that metro area people, when they move to rural Minnesota, get treated by the so-called wholesome and neighborly small town people. Being run off the property, being told, hey, we aren't going to build a road to your house. <laughs> Take that, metrocrat. Why would you want to go out there? I mean, you you literally have your local base population. You're not nice to people. 
And you keep sitting there and you you believe this. This is the lie you tell yourself. We're just we're just wholesome salt of the earth people. We just need people come out here and work these jobs. Why don't want people want to come on out there? And the second they get out there, I saw a rainbow flag bumper sticker on your car. We're going to run you out of town. Or we don't like the fact that you're new. You're not one of us. So we're going to basically make your existence here difficult through zoning laws, you know. You're not nice. There's a And by the way, can I point out something about teachers? If you go to rural America back in like the 1880s, 1890s, when they needed to get a teacher into town, you'll go through these towns and you, I've gone through many of them, go through these rural, small little towns and you'll come across two, two houses, which are generally gorgeous, gorgeous, three-story, red brick, just stunning buildings. They built them. And to get a doctor out there and to get a teacher out there, they just handed the keys to them. It's already a bit of a tough sell to get people to come on out there. Now, that was in the day and age when if you were out there, you pretty much were not going to be going too far away from your house. So that was kind of the incentive they had to use. Today, you, you know, it's, it's not nearly the, the burden it used to be, but because you guys are just jackasses towards people – no one wants to go teach for you out there. So don't sit there and say, oh God, it's a shame they have to close down the school. Now we got to drive my kid an extra 25 miles. Well, the reason why they're trying, they might be closing down your school is because they can't find enough teachers to teach the kids because you're sitting there leading rallies about how they're indoctrinating my children. They made my kid wear a face mask. I'm going, I swear to God, if I see them in public. And then you have the audacity, the stupidity to ask the question, why does nobody want to come out there and work with you? Be nice. You guys claim it all the time in rural Minnesota. You claim you're the nicest people. Well, then time to put your money where your mouth is. Because right now, you're not. You got a massive freaking chip on your shoulder, and you're looking to take it out on anyone because Trump! And maybe, just maybe, you have to learn the hard way that if you run all the teachers off and they end up closing down the school and they have to merge and you have to drive 25 miles... I'm sure you'll find some way to blame Joe Biden for that. But the reality is, is you need to go look in the mirror, something that's impossible for most of the conservatives of this country at this point. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205, You know, it, it is interesting, and, and, it, and people in rural Minnesota, I mean, and, and by the way, and I understand, if you're a Democrat out there, you know, this is hard. This is hard because you know this is true. The people are just not that nice, and it's changed. It's, Trump has forever changed rural America that, you, you know, it, it's interesting because I went to – I remember last uh, year I was out in Utah, and I was out in rural Utah going to the national parks and even in northern Arizona down by the Grand Canyon and stuff. 
And these are traditionally red states, but particularly in Utah, um, they, it was it was remarkable how little politics you saw. And sure, there was one or two guys that you know. I remember the when I ran into the guy that worked the grocery store at uh, the Escalante uh, National Monument, Grand Staircase National Monument. And he was talking about, I can't believe they used to have all these people here working with the miners and all this stuff. Why does the federal government have to poke their nose in our business and make this a national monument? How dare they preserve this land? And not even a minute later, not even a freaking minute later, he was like, it'd be so much better if the federal government gave this money, this land to these these uh, mining companies and these prospectors and then built a road. Wait a minute, built a road? Do you want the federal government to build a road now? Well, they need to build a road and build a, your water lines and electricity out to where all the minerals are so that the people can do this. Okay, so wait a second here. You don't want the federal government to stick their nose into your business if it's basically preserving the land for a national monument for all to be able to enjoy. But you sure as heck want the, the federal government to spend, what, a few billion dollars building a road into the middle of freaking nowhere so that a private company could then take over said road and basically make a profit off of – that's a good investment. No, 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 no. You can't have it both ways. But for the most part, it was remarkable how you know political-free particularly Utah was. I mean Chandler, Arizona is a bit of a pill. <laughs> we like guns, really. All right. Thank God. Thank God. Welcome to Arizona. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think there are some places where it's it's not bad, but there are places here. I mean, I posted a story earlier today from Blue Stem Prairie about they're bringing out this in this one Senate district. Where was it? The, the Senate district that's out there that they're bringing out this uh, – you know, this constitutional sheriff guy, this this idea that the Constitution says the sheriff can dictate what laws they can and cannot enforce. And basically this is pushing it to where, like with this red flag law, we just passed a red flag law where basically if someone is deemed to be a threat by a judge uh, to themselves or to someone else, that the police can go in there and take their guns away. And what this guy comes in here and says, you don't have to obey any law because – the sheriff, the county sheriff, is the highest authority in the land. No, uh, actually, no. It's it's not not even close. Uh, legally, you you don't have the ability to dictate. If you don't if you don't want to enforce the laws, then don't run to be a county sheriff, a taxpayer funded position. By the way, uh, you you don't want to do that. You don't have to do that. That's for sure. Now that being said, the they, they will push this idea. And by the by the way, if you're stupid enough to do this, let me make sure we understand the circle of life here. Uh, so, guy comes in and tells your county sheriff, "You don't have to enforce the laws." So then, county sheriff doesn't enforce a red flag order from a judge where a guy is going to basically try to shoot someone. Doesn't take their guns away. Funny story. Well, not so funny. The next day, that guy shoots and kills someone that actually had the 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 judge file the restraining order to get those guns away from them. Sheriff all of a sudden's going hammer na hammer na hammer na hammer na. Well, no one could have seen that coming. And then the county gets sued. The sheriff gets sued. The county ends up having to pay because there's no there's no escaping that lawsuit. You're 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 going to just how many how many zeros do I need to put at the end of this number? That's the only thing you're going to be saying. And then funny story. Here's where it comes back. That same county who's like, don't you tell, don't you metro area Democrats tell us what to do. Ba-ding! 
those same people all of a sudden are, you metro area Democrats need to give us some money because our county's broke because of pointless and easily avoidable lawsuits. Yes, the circle of life. Oh, God. Yeah, you can see that. How about this one? And and I want to give, first of all, can I, I, I want to call out the reformer. I don't get to do this that often because they're generally pretty good. You wrote a story here that Blue Stem Prairie has been covering religiously for the last two years. And I want to give Sally Jo Sorensen over at Blue Stem Prairie a huge round of applause because it's stuff like this that I don't know anywhere else is getting covered with any consistency. Blue Stem Prairie, if you're not following it, follow it, donate it, become a supporter. It is great outstate Minnesota news. But I'm going to read from the Reformer story, and then I'm going to come back and once again remind you that this is something that if you've been reading Blue Stem Prairie, Blue Stem Prairie has been covering this. Jensen, the that's Scott Jensen. Yes, that Jensen. The 2022 Republican candidate for governor has apparently changed his mind again about whether to hang out with some infamous anti-vaxxers. When he was running for governor last year, first he agreed to speak to the Alexandria event with some of the world's most predominant anti-vaccine art activists. About a week later, though, he changed his mind after the reformer wrote about it. Well, and not just you, but Blue Stem Prairie writing about it as well. Now he's back in the lineup for this year's Global Health Freedom Summit. On September 30th, per his recent political politics email, uh, some of the other fine speakers at this event, Sherry Tenpenny, a Cleveland osteopath who's testified in an Ohio State House committee hearing that the COVID-19 vaccine would magnetize people in an interface with 5G cell phone towers. Pardon me a second. Time to download the latest version of X in my mind. Uh, no. <laughs> By the way, can I say this? For If you're going to promise us we're going to get magnetized, come on, man. That's cool. Where are my car keys? Oh, here they are on my face. Oh, easy. you'll never lose another thing, man. You guys promised us magnetization, and I don't have it. How dare you? Eden Prairie Dr. Robert Zagjack who is disciplined by the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice for telling patients that childhood vaccines aren't safe. God. Speaking just before Jensen in a November mask-off Minnesota event, Zach Zajac said, said the leading cause of coronavirus deaths is the medical system. Wow. Wow. Dr. Peter McCullough, a Dallas cardiologist, whose certifications on internal medicine and cardiovascular disease may be revoked due to his public statements about the purported dangers of COVID-19 vaccines. Scott Atlas, whom the Washington Post editorial board accused of wrecking the pandemic response by the Trump administration by pushing herd immunity. And by the way, God, I mean, that that was kind of what they were trying to do down in Florida was herd immunity. Holy God, I was reading the actual, what they feel are the actual numbers of deaths in Florida unbelievable. It's so much worse than most other places. Leela Sentner, C-E-N-T-N-E-R, a Republican mega donor who prohibited her private school's employees from getting vaccinated against COVID-19 and likened public schools to indoctrination camps. Having a hard time getting people to go work at the public school, you say. Uh, Christiani, Chris. Tiani, yeah, Christiana Northrop, a retired celebrity doctor who claimed the virus was part of a plot involving deep state brainwashing and depopulation schemes, 
encourage fans to check out at QAnon, called the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention a COVID death cult and described the vaccines as crimes against humanity. Now, it would be remiss if I didn't say all of these accusations are not true. The COVID vaccine has been proven to be safe by a lot of doctors. And I'm not talking about a retired celebrity doctor who claimed to be the virus as part of you know, a, a plan or uh, a mega donor or a, a Dal- one Dallas cardiologist or a one, I guess, family practice person from Eden Prairie or a Cleveland, Ohio osteopath. Uh, osteopath. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's not exactly the, the uh, you know, the, the 87 Twins lineup out there, okay? <laughs> you're, not, you're not exactly going to win the series here. But Scott Jensen's there as well. And so it should be noted that this they don't have any real evidence of, the, of these claims they, that's been proven that these claims are garbage. Quick side note I'll get to here in just a second, okay, about that. I want to come back to that. Jared Oceandorf, an Alexandria chiropractor who's worked for several University of Minnesota teams, is hosting. So that's a chiropractor, one cardiologist. And, uh, oh, yeah, never mind. You get the point. It's not exactly a top-notch crew of medical professionals. It's basically you're, you're only following pe- these people because they're saying what you want to hear. And it doesn't matter that you would sit back and you say to yourself, well, this is not exactly the research hospital over at the University of Minnesota, is it? No. But you see, they, have an ex- they already have an, a, an excuse for that. That's, that's part of the conspiracy, you see? You can't trust all the people doing the research and science about this. No, you just got to trust me, a local chiropractor. I'm guessing. I don't know exactly what it said of these things because I like science and I believe in in medicine. In his email, Jensen builds the events as a place to get uncensored updates from names you trust. While <laughs> God, names you trust. Uh, while you discover new and important frontline voices, we strive to offer only the best in the movement that will stand to deliver truth. This year, we will learn to legally protect yourself from forced vaccination, mass mandates, and other forms of medical tyranny. Once again. You don't have to get vaccinated. What they want is the ability for the rest of the country to not treat them as unvaccinated. And that if you have, oh, I don't know, a pandemic going on out there and you require people to be vaccinated and then you say, well, you don't want to be vaccinated. Well, then you can work remotely or you have to wear all the PPE gear and you have to be very careful and 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 they say no. I want to go without anything. I want to be able to cough in people's faces. I want to be able to spit all over everybody. And unless I can do that while getting my paycheck, you're discriminating against me. That's kind of their whole argument. I have no problem. There are people out there that do have religious problems with this, and that's fine. But those people generally have the understanding is that. If I'm not going to be vaccinated, I need to make sure I take special steps to prevent my child from getting other people sick or my child from getting sick from other people or themselves getting sick from other people. That's what these people, they just want to force their agenda on you. They want you to have to sit next to them while they spit and cough all over you and act as if this is some sort of long lost right within society. And it's not. You're just being a jerk. Stop it. 
Jensen has recently sought to freshen up his political profile, having said during the recent podcast interview that he aired during the 2022 campaign by underestimating the impact of his anti-abortion stances. Nearly three-fourths of Minnesotans received a full vaccine, COVID vaccine vaccinations. Um, they're still – and, and once again, you have to remember, too, these people are going to make money by going to this very small portion of the population and doing this thing. So th- this is this – is, yeah. There's no, there's method to the madness. How about I say it like that? There's method to the madness. Now, I'll take this all back to the front side of it. What I was saying is that you go to some of these areas. This is out in Alexandria. And Alexandria is, you know, far right wing. And they go on out there and you get people who will cough and they'll see someone who might have a respiratory condition or might be a cancer patient or might just be elderly who is susceptible to viruses. And they'll say, watch this. <laughs> Coughing in your face because you're part of the liberal agenda. And there have been stories, plenty of stories, of people saying, what are you doing? This person's trying to recover from cancer. It's like, oh, I was just making a stay. I, I didn't. I, okay, fine. They can't help themselves. They're just Their stupidity runs amok. It's just who they are. But the reality is, is that this is what I'm talking about. This is what small town America is, is forcing their agenda on you. And then they can't wonder why people don't want to move there and work there. And that, that's, that's part of their problem. I want to make sure I do say this, that this. Jensen really has never escaped this, that he has been there before. And once again, Sally Jo Sorensen over at Blue Stem Prairie has been reporting on this for years. You type in Jensen and anti-vaxxers, you're going to pull up all those stories at Blue Stem Prairie. Go check that out. And, and uh, you know, Reformer, I probably should have mentioned that in the story, that this is something that's already been researched. That being said, one last thing here I want to make sure I mention. There's a story that's out. The Hill has a report out today that says one-third of people think that the COVID vaccines are unsafe and quite literally have killed everyone. That the only thing, no one died of COVID. That they are conv- there are people out there who are convinced, maybe not all that one third, but there's a lot of people who do not think anyone died of COVID. That they all died of COVID vaccines. And part of the reason why is that when somebody does die, the first thing that these people are trying to do is claim they died not of a heart attack, not of cancer, not of being hit by a truck, not by anything other than a COVID vaccine. And they are relentless at pushing this misinformation, even though it's a lie. And until the media in this country stops its rubbernecking at the car wreck that's anti-vaxxer rhetoric and basically goes on out there and the first paragraph of every story out there is they are lying, COVID vaccines are safe, and then talk about the lunacy from these nutbags. Well, guess what? It's only going to get worse. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. You know what's been giving me some joy is watching this Georgia case against Trump is already just producing pure gold. Uh, I, I saw there's pretty big speculation that Mark Meadows might have already 
started approaching people on a, on a deal to flip. <laughs> Other people as well clearly are going to be trying to get out of the way. But let's let's talk about some of the lesser people on that indictment. David Schaefer, former chairman of the Georgia Republican Party, one of the 19 defendants in the Georgia election interference case, has argued on Monday that he and other Republican fake electors acted at former President Trump's behest in the case. We were only following orders. Oh, that always works, doesn't it? Oh, I, I mean, how many times have we seen a, a military coup happen and atrocities happen and they just come on out and say, I was only following orders. And it's like, well, you were only following orders. Well, off you go. Thank you very much. Ah, good luck with that. Might I suggest a trip to Nuremberg? All right. You know, that, but that, this, is, this is all they've got. This is all they've got, because if not, then they acted on their own to try to overthrow the will of the Georgia voters. So they, we were only, Donald Trump was the president. We were acting as soldiers. He's the commander in chief. He ordered us to do this. We would have never tried to do this of free will. (laughs) Oh, is it hot in here or is it just some guilty, guilty, guilty? As defendants in this sprawling case begin to turn themselves in ahead of the Friday deadline, Eastman turned himself in today. Um, um, the, the, Jenna Ellis also apparently has negotiated her bond. <laughs> Yay! Maddie happy. Uh, Schaefer's position signals that some may be poised to turn on the former president. Do it. Do it. Do it. Mr. Schaefer and the other Republican electors in the 2020 election acted at the direction of the incumbent president and other federal officials, said Schaefer's lawyer, who wrote in the court filing on Monday. This is not, it's not even taking time. We're not even to the trial. We haven't sent a trial. They're like, guilty, 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 guilty. They told us to do it. I mean, I want to make sure we understand the brevity of what this guy is saying. Here is the former head of the Georgia Republican Party telling them that Donald Trump ordered them to be fake electors. And try to overturn the will of the people. Smoking gun, nothing. This is video evidence. This is this is we don't we don't need the smoking gun. We've got this is right on oh he did it. It's right him, 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 him. Um so yeah, this is this is pretty this is pretty damning. Attorneys for the president and Mr. Schaefer specifically instructed Mr. Schaefer verbally and in writing that the Republican electors meeting and casting their ballots on December 14th was consistent with counsel's advice. It was necessary to preserve the presidential election contest, they added. Schaefer, like co-defendants Mark Mender and Meadows and Jeffrey Clark, is seeking to have his state-level case moved to federal court where his case would be presided over by a federal judge and have potentially more sympathetic jury pool. By the way, it ain't going to happen once again. You, you, this is, these are laws in Georgia specific that were broken. And so this is going to stay in, I mean, it's, it's, unless the Republicans, this is their end around to just sort of say, okay, I think we all learned our lesson here. Yeah, I, you know, well, waggy, waggy finger. I think they're in trouble. The, uh, uh, Schaefer presented himself as the chairperson of the Electoral College of Georgia. In a file of fake slate of 16 pro-Trump electors on December 20th, Schaefer is facing eight charges in the indictment handed down by an Atlanta grand jury last week, including false statements and writings, forgery in the first degree, and impersonating a public officer. 
Trump indicted on Monday said he'll surrender the Fulton County authorities on Thursday of uh, this upcoming week. So they're already turning on them. They're already turning on them. And by the way, if it, it when that court ruling goes, comes down and says, oh, this stays in Fulton County, Georgia, whoa, the rats will flee the ship then. Oh, it'll be delicious. Hour two, that's coming up next. Hmm. 99 degrees and a godly heat. Let's bring someone else into the studio. Why not? Squeegee Hour is here with Matt and Patrick. Brett's joining us in studio. Hi, Brett. Uh, just here to warm up the studio for you because the TV behind you is not doing enough. Oh, God, man. I just it's, Actually, this feels cool and refreshing today. It's like, oh, this is nice. It's cool. You just went outside, man. It was It's a board to the face, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Oh. I mean, the heat is bad, but it's the humidity, which is just insane. I, oh, I heard Patrick oh, mention Oh, don't that. you know. Crepes, yeah. All right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about yeah. there. Oh, uh, yeah. What did you say, Patrick? The dew point was 84? Yeah, That's it's, just it's like ridiculous. South Florida level um, humidity. By the way, if I could have a discussion with management with you here, uh, can we get Patrick to put his clothes back on? I mean, I understand it's bad and everything, but or else can I take mine off? I got the camera here, and I'll do a nude show. <laughs> I mean, I really only fans. But I mean, I, I mean, can we can we kind of get some decency left back? We'll in work that into the contract when the temperature is above ninety six degrees. Nude shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Patrick, good with that? Yeah. Why don't we just shut the camera off and then nobody can complain anymore? Oh, uh, uh, can I? We're at the okay. We 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 are there. The twins. You're not outside for the twins. Is there? anything outdoors tonight major thing that's going on i mean it is midweek so probably not and the twins are out of town there's not like an early game or anything for like soccer or anything like that is there uh there could be i'd have to look at the schedule but i believe the local metro high school soccer schedule starts on thursday which the good news is it looks like highs in the only 89 yeah good luck kids bring your water bottle and orange, orange slices who wants to run around a soccer field at full speed in 100-degree weather? Yeah, that sounds like the worst sport you could probably play during this heat. So, okay, so this fair starts on Thursday. We're going to only be 89 on Thursday because that's that's the, the thing I'm getting to. we got the fair starting up. Have you ever been out there when it's been brutally hot? No, I, I avoid that when it gets that hot. Oh, that God. sounds awful. I had we had, We've coordinated with some friends. And it was the one day we could all go, and so we went out there just miserable they will not let you swim in the fish pond by the way they just fyi <laughs> i'm not going to tell you how i know this i was gonna yeah you must know from restra- some way restraining orders for another six years all right <laughs> but here you go here's your temperatures for fair days uh 89 on thursday 87 on friday saturday 78 oh uh, that's, that, gonna, that's gonna be a big day be, well, that's gonna be packed yeah 80 on sunday that should be nice here's where it gets a little rough monday 83 tuesday 89 Wednesday, 90 next week, Thursday, 90. I'm going to have to stop by the Union Kitchen just to get some of those spicy sausages to cool down. Those That actually works, man. If you eat some real spicy food, you do cool down. But, you know, I mean, that's a long wait to get that. I might have to shoot for early next week to go out there. That seems like Monday and probably Tuesday, the time. Yeah. Monday and Tuesday of the first that, – that first Monday and Tuesday – well, the first Monday because Labor Day is going to be there. But that Tuesday is always a good day to go out there. There's, no, there's not many people out there. I imagine, as we said, that Saturday is just going to be crazy out there with 78 degrees. The first Saturday of the fair, yeah, they're probably going to set some sort of record. Well, let's see. I'm going to see if – do I have the extended – so Labor Day is the fourth, right? Yeah. Okay. So, okay, so then uh, 86 Wednesday, the 30th, 88, 87, 85, 83, 83. It's going to be brutal. We're not going to have that day because usually we have one day out there where it's like it's cool. 
You know, because we start just start getting in that right there. And so it's like a 68-degree day, which is actually quite nice. But not this year. And, and, and all those concerts, too. They've got a great concert lineup this year. It's going to be a mess out there. At least those concerts are mostly in the evening. That could be a little better, but... Uh... Yeah, go go get go get your sweet Martha's cookies because I mean you're not going to stop that. Oh, they're going to melt right away. The cheese curds. <laughs> oh, they're going to eat them. Uh, go, go get your your four, fourteen dollar you know cr- you know craft beer and and enjoy enjoy because don't you face does the grandstand face towards the sun? No, that faces to the north. That faces to the north. You're like the poor bands. Duran mm-hmm. Duran's going to melt, man. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that sun gets down there before you guys be take the, the stage. The last year we have any big name artists at the state fair. <laughs> well, they just throw the hell with this. And walk yeah. off. Uh, all right. So, uh, first of all, we got uh, one thing here I want to mention. Uh, we have a dog over at MSP who is part of the National TSA Cutest Canine Contest, and they have made it to the semifinal round. Zeta is very cute. Have you seen a picture of Zeta? What kind of uh, dog is Zeta? A German short-haired pointer. Very sweet face. And it's always hard when I go there because I see those puppies working, and they're so cute, and they're working, and they got a job, and they're doing And you want to pet them, but you do not want to pet them because they're working. And But Zeta would be hard to pass up because she's pretty cute. Yeah, and that's the thing. You you can't pet them. That is, uh, yeah, you will mess with the dogs, and you don't want to do that. And, of course, whenever working. I'm smuggling something. I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to get too familiar with the puppies. <laughs> no, just joking. Uh, don't make jokes about this. Her description on the TSA Instagram. Uh, on her days off, you'll find her at the park chasing squirrels and at home taking a nap. Zeta has some big paws to fill. Oh, God, man. <laughs> Considering this year's cutest canine winner was a fan favorite... Ebers, also from the MSP air, airport, Ebers was an 11-year-old uh, uh, Vizla Labrador mix who won hearts around the country in 2022. Uh, so, yeah, we are, we are working on uh, getting our, the, the newest contestant here. Um, the cont- contest will highlight the important work these adorable pups do and be announcing the final two contestants on August 24th. It's, the voting is open right now. Uh, what's the day today? The 22nd? It's today. This is the final day of voting. The official winner results come out August 28th. So to vote to get her from the semifinal round to the final round, you have to go vote today. To vote for Zeta, you can go to the TSA Instagram, vote on their Instagram story. She's very cute. Very good puppy. So this is a national competition, right? Yes, it is. So if she's a Minnesota dog, like most Minnesota things, we'll lose in the semifinals. Well, it's it's well, we won last year. Oh, yeah, okay. So we, every once in a while, we got the links. Every once in a while, we get the links. You know, I, I've seen the other dogs. Come on. Those aren't cute dogs. Zeta's the winner. They're actually all very good puppies, and you're doing a very good job. I'm very proud of you. Finally, uh, before we get to Cooligan here, because I haven't mentioned Patrick Cooligan with the reformer coming in here. Um, few Americans view Minneapolis as a safe city. But before we get in, you know, get down to this, it's not exactly like an annual survey. The last time they did this survey was 2006. So, yeah, I'll take that little bit of a hit. But still, 58% of 1,015 Americans polled in July view Minneapolis as a safe place. So almost 60% of Americans think Minneapolis is safe. That's down from 72 in 2006. 
the last time they conducted the poll. Minneapolis still remains in the upper half of the 16 large cities on the survey, ranks sixth nationally. So out of the 16 large cities in the United States, we are sixth, which is good. Prepare for all the conservatives. All right, shut up. <laughs> Gallup notes that Minneapolis crime has increased in recent years, and of course, uh, the murder of George Floyd, although crime is down dramatically this year. In the last year and so far this year, the crime numbers are down. Um, it's been declining in the last year. This is, Axios put that out. They did mention that. Both homicides and shootings are down about 30% so far this year compared to the uh, same period in 2022, according to the Minneapolis Police Department study. So, and of course, once again, yeah, all right, yeah, fine, whatever. Uh, your safest city is Dallas, apparently, with 74%, so only 16 points higher than us. Boston's too. Now, I've been to Dallas and Boston. Bull crap. <laughs> Boston? Boston? You put Boston at two. I mean, I wouldn't expect that to be the worst, but that's a little surprising. Yeah, yeah have that ranked uh, the number two highest. So here you go. Safest, yeah. Dallas? I'm not, man, Dallas has got some issues. Dallas is number one, Boston two, Seattle three. Here's where you know something's wrong here. Vegas is four. <laughs> Vegas. So I'm down on Fremont Street a year ago. I'm down on Fremont Street. There's a, and of course, what happens, this is where you 2 filmed where the streets have no name, or they, where, where they, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, whatever it is, the one where they, they had the, the, the video screen on top, and that's Fremont Street. And they've expanded it out, and it's a lot of tacky stuff. And we were there, it was 104 degrees, and it smelt like urine everywhere you went. Urine and drunk people. And we were down there at 11 a.m. Good morning. <laughs> and so, Oof, 11 a.m. So you walk down this street, and I don't know if you've ever been to L.A. or New York where you're out in these heavy traffic areas where there's a lot of tourists. But you'll have the people come up in like Superman and Spider-Man costumes like, hey, take a picture with me and that sort of thing. In Vegas, it's a very different existence. I had a blue SpongeBob. Not sure why SpongeBob's costume was blue. I'm going to guess – you know, Tobias Funke, <laughs> copyright <laughs> violations. <laughs> I'm the thing. Anyway, uh, I'm going to guess it's a copyright infringement. So they grabbed a can of blue spray paint. The guy's face was blue. So it's blue SpongeBob. Well, it and, does sound like uh, Tobias Funke, <laughs> the blue face. Blue face SpongeBob comes up to us and he goes, Hey, you want to get a picture with me, don't you, kids? <laughs> and I'm like, sweet Jesus, no. And the guy looks at me and goes, well, you're wasting my time. You owe me 10 bucks because you're wasting my time. I said, I owe you what? And at that point, Vegas police came by. and was like, oh, just fine, nothing, and walks away. But they're trying to shake you down. And there's tons of these people out there, let alone the stunning amount of people drunks asleep in casinos I saw in Vegas. Really? Your Vegas is four on this list? No. Blue SpongeBob does not approve. <laughs> just does not approve. Did, did you have blue marks everywhere like Tobias? No. He did, he did. <laughs> his like hands, a bench his hands were not painted blue. Thank gosh. Maybe by process of trial and error. Oh, but, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I just – I looked and I said, what's the chance this guy just took a can of, you know, Krylon and just sprayed <laughs> down the face and just – Good enough. I'm ready to go. Because I'm going to guess 
it was the Krylon touch there on the face because it was kind of that shiny, you know, like, oh, is that, is that a new grill you've got there? You know, sort of look to his face. Miami comes in five. Minneapolis, Miami, Miami, five. Okay. No. Minneapolis comes in six. Houston, uh, seven. That surprised me. New Orleans surprises me at eight. Who is it? Don't we have a Republican who said that, you know, all eight of his friends dove into one cab? <laughs> to get out of New Orleans. The worst cities. Oh, I have no problem in saying this one. Detroit. Um, that one ranked pretty low. Chicago is second worst. L.A. and New York. Uh, Philadelphia. I'm not going to argue with those. But Minneapolis, you know, number six in the nation. So out of 16. I mean, I know New York has its reputation, but I'm surprised that would rank lower than like Las Vegas. I mean, I would it think was, Las Vegas would be this among This is the... the problem. I mean, okay, I'll buy Dallas to a point. Dallas does have some nice areas. Boston does have some nice areas. The historical parts of the, the thing over Bunker Hill, across the bay. You know, the, the, there are some nicer things there. Seattle, great town. I've been out there a few times and very much enjoyed it. Vegas becomes a problem. Miami becomes a big problem. And then Minneapolis. Yeah, I'm, I, I've got some questions about this list. I don't know if it's, if it's legit. <laughs> the blue SpongeBob. That was, uh, you know, and you don't dare take a picture of them because then they really get incensed. Don't do it. You want to take a picture of the deranged freak show that is Fremont Street in Vegas of these people that want you to take photos of them. But if you take a photo of them even walking by, I'm a celebrity. You need to pay me for that. Don't do it, man. Do not do it. Don't spray paint your face with Krylon either. Okay? Just, you know, another safety tip from the Matt McNeil Show for your day today. 952-946-6205. You, of course, got Patrick Cooligan here on a Tuesday. Yeah, we are going to be talking about PFAS chemicals and these new EPA guidelines. Saw that, yeah. saw that uh, story they had there. Yeah. yeah, 12 cities mostly, it appears, kind of in that southeast metro area are going to be having uh, levels that are not acceptable to the EPA in terms of how much PFAS these forever chemicals are in their drinking water. Mm. So they're going to need new water treatment, and somebody's got to pay for it, which is the issue, because those are not cheap to build. So, and yeah. they knowingly dumped them in the, the, the dumps, and they knowingly yeah. did so, so. So the debate is, yeah, whether the state is going to step in, will 3M pay it, or will it largely be on the backs of these local municipalities who very likely don't have the budget? So we're going to be chatting about that, and we'll also get into this new bridge that is being built. Uh, thanks to federal infrastructure uh, money between Duluth and Superior, Wisconsin, I'm sure Pete Stauber is taking credit for that. Oh, I'm sure he's out there. Uh, that's it. That's we'll name it the Stauber Bridge. No, we won't. We actually want it to work for us. All right. <laughs> yeah, see what I did there. Uh, Patrick Cooligan with the Minnesota Reformer talking to Brett right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon as we're joined by Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Make sure you go to minnesotareformer.com for the latest in Minnesota news and politics as we'll be chatting about some of the stories that they've been working on over at the Reformer. Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So let's start off talking about uh, PFAS chemicals in drinking water in 12 Minnesota cities. As the Minnesota Department of Health has identified 12 cities and two mobile home parks where at least a portion of the drinking water is estimated to exceed the EPA's new proposed limits on PFAS chemicals, 
Those are those uh, forever chemicals, in case you forgot. Uh, a little more background on those. 3M dumped those chemicals into Washington County landfills for years, polluting about 200 square miles of groundwater and four aquifers that provide drinking water to thousands of East Metro residents. That led to the Minnesota legislature this past year uh, putting through a bill that includes a ban on those forever PFAS chemicals. But these new EPA standards, uh, as I mentioned, uh, could impact 12 cities and those two mobile home parks. So, Patrick, what exactly are these cities going to need to do to meet these EPA requirements that are now in place to uh, get in line with having uh, good drinking water? It seems that they're going to need to upgrade uh, their uh, drinking water systems um, to deal with these uh, the new EPA standards uh, that are being considered. They're not final yet. Um, but certainly it looks like we're, we're going down the road to a pretty strict regulation of, um, some of these, uh, six types of chemicals, um, of the so-called PFAS, uh, and, and the, the regulation would, uh, put the limit at four parts per trillion, which is essentially the lowest level at which they can be detected. So, um, what I think how we should read that is that the EPA doesn't consider any any level of PFAS to be safe, and the, the reason is because it's uh, the the history of uh, toxicity um, in the for um, both animals and humans, um, and the fact that these, as we call them, forever chemicals, they tend to just build up um, in the body um, and they don't break down. So uh, this is going to require a significant cost. And it looks like it's going to be over and above the 3M settlement with the state uh, that was uh, penned in 2018. That was $850 million. But I think the total cost of this cleanup um, is going to be higher. And, uh, and of course, this could be just the start. Uh, we could see other um, municipalities and, and water systems uh, having to deal with this later. Now, let's talk about that cost right now because, as you mentioned, this is going to be very expensive for uh, many of these cities to upgrade their water systems. And as you also mentioned, that 3M lawsuit won't necessarily cover all of the costs. So that leads to the big, the big question is who exactly is going to pay for this? Is this largely going to be up to the local cities or could they get assistance from the state or even 3M? Uh, what have you been hearing about in terms of uh, who could end up paying for these uh, very large costs that these cities could incur? Well, that's the big question. And I, and I think that these municipalities uh, would uh, certainly have a good argument to make that this is not their responsibility. Um, it's not like they were um, allowing this kind of dumping um, and that there ought to be some kind of a, uh, some state assistance here. But, uh, of course, the other player here is 3M. Um, they invented many of these compounds, manufactured them, and, and as you said, uh, dumped them unsafely. Um, and, I mean, even recently, the, the 3M um, has self-reported uh, compliance problems uh, with the release of the, the chemicals. Um, and the the... The Attorney General at the time, uh, Lori Swanson, uh, was suing 3M um, and wound up settling for $850 million. But it appears that the the cleanup, um, the Department of Health estimates it'll cost 150 to $200 million to provide drinking water um, that meets EPA standards outside of that two, 2018 settlement area. So... Um, that's significant, um, and 
you know, where is that money going to come from? And uh, I think it's unclear at this point um, how um, we can get after 3M again after the state has already made this settlement. That's a, a question for another day, but an important one. Uh, now, if we, as we take a look at these 12 municipalities and two mobile harm parks that are impacted right now, what guidance are they receiving right now until, well, they get these uh, upgrades at their water treatment facilities? Are, are they being recommended to have their residents buy bottled water or doing anything else or not drinking tap water? I'm curious about that aspect, too, because if you're a resident of one of those 12 cities, that would be uh, pretty alarming to get this guidance from the EPA basically saying, uh, we have forever chemicals in your water right now. Yeah, I mean, the, it, I think it depends on where you live and the the proximity you live to uh, the dumping grounds or the chemicals. Because um, one thing to keep in mind is that these chemicals are everywhere, all over the globe. They're in basically every every living thing, um, and so it's not as if only these twelve uh, people who live in these twelve communities are, are going to suffer from forever chemicals. Um, on the other hand, I don't want to minimize um, the risk here. Uh, there certainly have, it appears to be human health effects. And so, you know, certain bottled water, uh, there's certainly in-home systems um, that uh, people can avail themselves. And people have been doing in the East Metro for, for a long time um, until these communities uh, get this figured out on a, on a global level. You can read more about that great reporting over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. And by the way, you can take a look at those 12 cities and two mobile harm parks that were uh, included uh, in this, uh, that were included in terms of having uh, too much of these PFAS chemicals in their water. Find that over at minnesotareformer.com. I want to move on to another story now that has to do with Minnesota and Wisconsin because, well, normally we think of them, at least in the sports realm, as being border rivals. But as state governments, Minnesota and Wisconsin do sometimes work together, and we have a recent example of this happening from yesterday where both Governor uh, Tim Walls from Minnesota and Tony Evers from Wisconsin said they will be using federal funds from the infrastructure bill to rebuild a bridge the John A. Blatnick Bridge between Duluth, Minnesota, and Superior, Wisconsin. So let's talk about the significance of this bridge because uh, this is a very significant uh, bridge that would be used between residents of both Minnesota and Wisconsin, correct? Yeah, that's uh, 33,000 cars per day, according to the governor's office, um, and nearly 265,000 trucks, billions of dollars, um, um, and uh, connecting trade uh, between these two states, as well as Canada and I think uh, 40-something, 42 states. Um, it's uh, really an important bridge uh, for the port, and it's one of the most important ports, uh, inland ports uh, in the nation. So it's it's extremely um, high-value bridge, needs to be rebuilt, and the two governors are, are together going to ask the federal government for a billion dollars to help do it. Uh, both the state governments have, um, have pledged $400 million each. Um, and so it's going to be a joint project. Um, going to take a while. Um, but this seems like um, uh, an important project to come out of the, uh, the Biden infrastructure law. 
I'm curious about this, too, because as I mentioned, Minnesota and Wisconsin have worked together in the past. How exactly are they sharing costs on this, too? Because as I understand it, there is going to be some state funds going to this project as well. Yeah, so they've each pledged $400 million. Um, I, I, uh, I would hope that future governors and legislatures uh, would abide by that pledge. Um, I think there would be uh, bipartisan support for this kind of a, a project because it is so important um, for uh, for trade, and, and I think you can get some Republican buy-in there. And then, of course, uh, Democrats uh, love to build things, so uh, no problem there. But it's definitely a joint project, and um, I think it's good that you have these two Democratic governors working with the Democratic administration that seems more likely to make it happen. And as we mentioned, this did come from that federal infrastructure bill, which was largely uh, passed by the Democratic-controlled Congress at the time. So I I do wonder if uh, Pete Stauber, the Republican representative from Minnesota's 8th District, will be taking credit for this project since it wouldn't be the first time that he's taken credit for some federal funding that he ended up voting against on that one. So just throwing that out there because uh, he has certainly done that before, but this is largely, yeah, coming from those those federal funds that were uh, passed in that infrastructure bill a couple of years ago years ago yeah uh that's uh, been a pattern around the country with republican congressmen uh taking credit for projects in their districts even though they voted against uh the bills um and uh yeah, i mean you do wonder about the the long-term political ramifications here of uh of uh, not just this bill the the infrastructure bill uh, but then also uh, the the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which has put uh, created a lot of uh, projects, uh, energy projects, um, out in red districts, and then also the Chips Act, uh, the Chips and Science Act, which is uh, has uh, really energized uh, factory building um, across again in, in a lot of uh, red districts. I mean, will Joe Biden uh, get credit for this stuff ever? Um, or, or do we live in such a, a polarized or negative polar, uh, partisanship era in which you know, you're sort of just trained to, to really uh, despise the, the person in the other party that um, it won't uh, change any minds, all of this money and, and all these good jobs. Um, but um, politics is, is about the margins, and so you, you only need to peel off a few percent in some of these districts, and, and you can really... Uh, uh, change the, the political landscape. And one more story to briefly touch on you before we're out of time, and that has to do with the controversy with Nasri Warsami. Now, you might remember this name as he was someone who was previously in the news after his supporters instigated a fight at a DFL local endorsing convention. And, well, he's in the news again for inviting a controversial former Somali warlord to be his guest speaker at a campaign fundraiser back in June. The late Mohammed Farah Adi, just to give you a little background, was a key player in the 1990 coup in Somalia, in which their government collapsed later in 1992. And now his son, Hussein Farah Adi, spoke at a fundraiser for Warsame, who is a DFL candidate running against city, running against an incumbent city council member. So I'm curious, first off, uh, why exactly was this guy invited to a fundraiser? And what exactly did he say at this event? Because I understand this is a very controversial speaker that was invited to speak at Warsame's fundraiser. Yeah, uh, Warsame has already um, has, uh, been a, uh, I mean, he's run afoul of the, of the DFL, uh, where they're this uh, kind of 
fracas started uh, started uh, his supporters started at the DFL endorsing convention. Um, he was essentially banned from getting the uh, DFL endorsement, and now he has this uh, guy speak at a, uh, a fundraiser for him. Um, we don't know what was said, uh, but uh, the this individual with the fundraiser is the son of a, a key player in the in the 1990 coup. Um, which after which Somalia's government collapsed, uh, he's the, he's the son and, um, and sort of the heir. And, um, so I think it certainly raised some questions about, uh, why you would want to be associated, uh, with this figure for your campaign in the, the sixth ward. Well, you can read more about that over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com, or about Warsami and the controversial speaker at his event back in June. As we are just about out of time, as we have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, again at minnesotareformer.com. Make sure you sign up for their newsletter and get all the latest news and politics here in Minnesota. Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota's the Matt McNeil Show. Native Roots Radio, I'm Wakeham's. In after me, uh, Robert Piloting crew, make sure you're listening in the five o'clock hour for them. Great stuff. Uh, late nights here on AM 950, starting at eight o'clock with Rick Smith, the Rick Smith show, eight until 10 at uh, 10 o'clock there. Make sure you stop on in for Greg Bakken and Ghost Box Radio, which is phenomenal. Phenomenal, man. I was talking to a fan of that show. And the good news is Greg Bakken, he took a few days off on a, uh, a little adventure. He's back in live tonight. So mm. hopefully, Fans enjoyed some of the best ofs over the weekend, but Greg Bakken back live tonight at 10 o'clock. Uh, sure. I imagine by that point it'll be 85 outside. <laughs> 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 uh, moist. Uh, of course, then Patty Vasquez, who I, I adore Patty Vasquez. She comes in at uh, 11 o'clock here from Chicago. Good stuff right here all the way through the evening. It's, you, you're here. This is where you need to be, right here on AM 950. It's good to have you with us here today. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. A very sad story. Uh, a member of the national championship Gustavus Adolphus College women's hockey team was killed, and three of her teammates injured in a two-vehicle collision in a rural intersection in West Central Minnesota. Officials said, "I was over at St. Peter what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and uh, yeah, I was up on the campus. We went up, uh, went up on the campus there. Very sad story. Very sad. And all my best to everyone in the community out there, as well as with the the women's hockey team. The crash occurred about two forty. In the afternoon Sunday, about 20 miles west of Wilmer on Highway 40 at the intersection with Highway 29 in Grace Township, the state patrol said. The women's SUV was headed east on Highway 40 in tandem with two other vehicles of teammates when it collided with a southbound minivan. All four women were taken by emergency responders to Montevideo Hospital. Jory Lynn Jones, 19, of Little Canada, did not survive her injuries, the patrol had said. State Patrol Sergeant Troy Christensen said on Monday that one of the drivers failed to obey the stop sign, but did not specify which one. The intersection is controlled by stop signs on all four corners. The minivan's driver told the Star Tribune that she came to a full stop at the intersection and then was sent airborne when she was struck by the SUV. The minivan's driver, Brandy Rasmussen, 28, of Benson, Minnesota, said 
She had made a full stop, did not see any other vehicles in all directions, and entered the familiar intersection where the SUV had to be going at least 60 miles an hour at the moment of impact. All of a sudden, I'm in the air rolling and rolling and rolling, said Rasmussen, who was driving to work assignment for Heartland Girls Ranch Treatment Centers in Benson, where she's a counselor. I didn't even see them at all. They clearly didn't see me, said Rasmussen, who was home recovering from a concussion, whiplash, and scrapes and bruises. The patrol said they're surprised they're talking to me today. So it sounds like, at least from what we're hearing here, a terrible accident, become distracted. And and if you're driving on some of these rural roads, sometimes that does happen. You come across these stop signs. That's why if if you go out there, a lot of the times they have these stop signs, and I like these. These are the stop signs that have the red lights around them. That really flashy, you can see them from a long way away. Oh, yeah, definitely. Or the, the, the rumbles as you come up to yeah. the stop sign, too. Yeah, so when I was up, uh, up north this summer, that uh, you, know, you go to Ely, and you cut across uh, from Angora over to uh, the highway that goes up there, 169, and, and yeah, they got the rumbles. You need to have those out there. Um, so and, and so it sounds like the the girl's car they they you know maybe not familiar with the road didn't see the, st- the stop sign um and yeah if, if they hit her at 60 miles an hour uh the minivan driver is lucky to be alive at that point but very tragic very sad um uh, a case there in, in there and uh, all my best to them they've already a lot of tributes already being paid there for in that case uh it was interesting because this is um the there seems to be a quite a few of these driving accidents where there's been um a death that um that that have happened out in outstate minnesota uh in the last you know weekend after drinking at a bar a minnesota man bragged on social media about driving at speeds of 150 miles an hour Moments before a crash that killed a man and left a woman with life-threatening injuries, charges say. Charges say Hunter Buckentine. Got to be careful with that name. Hunter Buckentine, 23, of Avon, posted a photo on Snapchat that showed him driving 150 miles an hour with a photo captioned, New record just after 1 a.m. on Saturday. Minutes later... After he posted the picture on Instagram, Buckentine crashed into a Chevy Cobalt on Highway 10 in Clear Lake Township, killing Jordan Kramer, 34, of Clarissa, Minnesota. Another passenger in the vehicle, 38-year-old Candace Pooler, also of Clarissa, was taken to St. Cloud Hospital with life-threatening injuries. Her status as of Tuesday morning is unclear. However, the charges say she needs she needed surgery for a broken arm and a broken shoulder blade. Yikes. According to the criminal complaint, Minnesota State Trooper witnessed Buckentine driving an Infinity at a high rate of speed, clocking him at 132. At the time, the trooper attempted to pursue but ultimately lost sight of Buckentine's vehicle. Shortly after, the trooper drove upon a crash scene involving the Cobalt and the Infinity just east of 97th Street Southeast. Kramer was pronounced dead at the scene. Pooler was taken to the hospital while the driver of the Cobalt expected to recover from her injuries. The driver of the Chevy said he said she was going the speed limit when the other car came up on her so fast he saw the lights flash behind her and did not have time to react. According to the complaint, the Infinity slammed into a car, causing her to roll in ditch. I'm going to guess the fact that this all started at a bar had something to do with it, too. You know how I feel about that. 
A preliminary investigation shows Buckentine showed a lack of braking before the collision. The passenger who was riding with Buckentine told investigators they had both been drinking at Beck's Pub in Becker the night before. prior. He said Buckentine was drunk, but he thought it was okay enough to drive at the time. I don't even... Okay. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Becker, isn't this a small town? Stuff like this doesn't happen in small towns. It's only big towns. You don't try that stuff around a small town. Oh, I guess you do. But this, I mean, he was drunk. Your argument is, oh, we knew he was drunk, but we still let him get me out of the wheel of the car. Buckentine ran from the scene after the crash was later arrested. The complaint says he told police he remembered being in the bar, but he didn't think he was drunk. Both Buckentine and his passengers suffered nine life-threatening injuries. Court record shows Buckentine has three past convictions for speeding and an additional conviction for careless driving when he crashed a car in May of 2022. He is charged with one count of third-degree murder, two counts of criminal, criminal vehicular homicide, two counts of criminal vehicular operation if convicted. He faces up to 55 years in prison, a 60,000 dime. I'm sure that Instagram post is is going to be an exhibit there. Um, it's So I, I was hit between 35 and 40 miles an hour. My back was broken when, my, when, when the drunk driver hit my car at 35 to 40 miles an hour. And many people have and, – and I've been told directly, if not for the structural integrity of the car I was in, the Toyota Sienna, that I wouldn't probably be around right now. We have the tragic accident involving the hockey team. That was at 60. And one person did die. The other people the other people are injured but survived. When you're doing 150 freaking miles an hour, you it, it there is no such thing as a fender bender. Your force and energy are going to annihilate anything that you see. It's a miracle the two the two in that car survived. The Infinity survived. It it you are the amount of force. I remember, like I said, and I've talked about this before. Is we've had more and more of these cases of outrageous speed and drinking and and flying down the highway. You were on the autobahn. You would see a car, a football field and a half away from the road, wrapped around a tree like a pretzel, and you can't even comprehend the amount of speed it would take to do something like that. But when you get up that fast, you're talking about some serious energy. You're lucky that everyone that not everyone died in this accident because of that speed. It's just that crazy. And and here's a case where once again it sounds like he hit the person behind because he came up on them so fast because they were going three times the speed limit. Think about that for a second. Yikes. And another case here, once again, apparently stuff that does not happen in small towns happening in small towns. Prosecutors in Washington County have filed upgraded murder charges against a man who's accused of fatally running over a 17-year-old girl in Forest Lake on July 16th. Dylan Robert Simmons of North Branch was initially charged with third-degree murder and criminal vehicle homicide in the incident. As of Monday, Simmons is charged with two counts of second-degree murder, criminal vehicular homicide, and three counts of second-degree assault. Charges say Simmons fatally ran over uh, Darisha Tella Bailey Vath of Stacy. After a large fight broke out between two groups in a parking lot in Lakeside Veterans Memorial Park, the charges were amended following the police review of surveillance footage near the park. 
Video shows Simmons, white Mazda 3, parked and then quickly drove forward in the direction of the group of approximately six bystanders, narrowly missing them. According to the new complaint filed on Monday, Simmons then looped around again, rapidly accelerated towards the group of bystanders, this time again narrowly missing them, but striking the rear end of a parked vehicle. Simmons then backed up and again lurched forward, striking and then driving over Vath before leaving the parking lot, the complaint says. I don't know. I don't know if that vehicle was Vath's vehicle, but that might make some sense. That all of a sudden he hits that vehicle, Vath comes over and says, "What you're doing?" and he runs over him. That I don't know if that's the connection there, but authorities interviewed three witnesses who were with Vath and were satisfied that Simmons intended to strike them with his vehicle, causing them to fear injury or death. All three are confirmed that they are at least partially struck by Simmons' car. Numerous witnesses told police that arguments and fights took place involving two groups all or most of whom knew one and each other. Some had armed themselves with weapons, such as baseball bats, hammers, a crowbar, and a folding knife. I think, dude, you got a group of people there that need to do a freaking life evaluation. I mean, seriously, what are you doing? You know, it's, it, 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 what do you think? This is Russia? This is, you know, this is... It, it, God. According to court records, Simmons has previously been convicted with underage drinking and driving, driving with suspension of his license. He has a pending case for driving after revocation from his license as well. Simmons' next schedule will appear in court on Thursday. We're actively pursuing the most dangerous charges if justified by the facts. As a result, the Forest Lake Police Department's continued investigation of the case. There's new evidence to support more serious and additional charges against Mr. Simmons. Dang right there is. Uh, yeah. This is a thousand pounds of ugly. And, and as much as, you know, every Republican in the state will scream, Minneapolis fireworks, black people, and that's what they do. The reality is, is there's an epidemic of crimes that are happening out in outstate Minnesota. And because the Republican Party will say, well, that's just harmless fun with white people. And, yeah, the two guys in these two cases, white guys, that's just white people, harmless fun. You don't understand small town, Matt. Because they refuse to acknowledge the problems with these issues and the repeat offender nature of the people that are causing these problems, well, guess what? They're, they don't care about crime in rural Minnesota, only about black people in Minneapolis. And this is kind of the, the result. Is you, you People that probably should not be behind wheels or at least should be having, at, at some point, something more than a slap on the wrist. Well, because that's why people having fun. Not much is happening, and people are losing their lives because of these fools. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. The Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. The Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Apparently, after Eastman uh, posted bond, he made some statements about how the election was stolen. And so people are thinking he's going for the insanity defense. That's an interesting comment. Uh, here's another one from Georgia, which I just, like I said, this is just, or this is, you know, excuse me, this is Jack Smith's, this is Washington, D.C. Nestled in special counsel Jack Smith's response to Donald Trump's demand to delay the criminal case around the 2020 election until 2026 is a key detail about the documents he has from the Secret Service. One of the key frustrations from the House Select Committee investigating January 6th in the attempt to overthrow the 2020 election was that the Secret Service accidentally deleted every text communication between the agents and officials from that day. Oopsie, which, by the way, is such a freaking load of crap 
they were covering their tracks. Because clearly the Secret Service, I think, was there were definitely elements of the Secret Service involved in that coup attempt. I have zero doubt. Uh, It was scheduled maintenance, they said, happened to, once again, no one would think to keep all the text messages from January 6th. But Smith has revealed in his filing that he has 3.1 million pages from the Secret Service emails that do exist. He has them. It's unknown how many of those have been unseen by the House Select Committee. Among the things the committee had discovered from emails was there had been a series of warnings about possible attacks. The agency was removed under purview of the Department of Homeland Security after cabinet-level position that was added after September 11th tax. The Secret Service is sounding an alarm to Trump's acting uh, DHS Secretary Chad Wolf, who abruptly left on January 12th after pledging to stay in office until the 20th. Wolf was never confirmed by the Senate for that post. Um, Wolf was the acting Deputy Secretary Ken Cunucci, Cunicelli, or, uh, Cunicelli, uh, both were found to have deleted text message from January 6th. So I, I want to make sure why this is important and why I'm so glad Jack Smith has got this stuff. Basically, right before the January 6th thing, it was right at the end of December, something really weird happened because I'd never heard of this. Biden's security detail, his Secret Service security detail, was completely changed out. No one ever explained that. I went back and I looked and I'd never heard. Apparently, this is not something that's ever happened before. And I had speculated, was there some inside intelligence that told him that the real threat to him might have been from his Secret Service detail? That at the end of the day, they could have put somebody on the Secret Service detail who could have tried to take out President Biden and help in the installation of Trump as President Uberalis. It's clear Trump got into private personal relationships with members of the Secret Service team. And even Mike Pence, when the Secret Service was trying to get him into a car and drag him away from the Capitol, said, I am not getting in a car with you. I don't trust you to to do the right thing. There's a lot of evidence that the Secret Service was compromised on January 6, 2021. And I'm glad to see that we actually now have Jack Smith getting as much of this information as possible because I would like to see some of those people. If that is true, if that's exactly what happened, damn right I would like to see some charges there. You can't have the Secret Service compromised like that. You just can't. Uh, Native Roots Radio up next. We are back on a Wednesday with Stein. Have a good one. Until then, see ya.